0: Good morning. Welcome to the first convocation of spring semester. My name is Becky Horst. I coordinate the convocations here each Monday. Many of you noticed that half page dark red colored schedules are available on the cart out here in this part of the hall. If you would like a printed schedule, you should have already received one by email as well. Next Monday's convocations, and it's plural because next Monday is Martin Luther King Jr. Study Day, where classes, daytime classes, are suspended, and there will be four different opportunities to get convocation credit next Monday. The print schedules and online schedules have more details about that. And now, history professor John D. Roth will introduce our special guest speaker for today.
1: Good morning, and uh, welcome to the opening convocation of the spring uh, semester. As you've heard, my name is John Roth. I teach in the history department, and it's my great pleasure uh, to introduce our convocation speaker this morning. Uh, One of the uh, many uh, wonderful things about teaching at Goshen College is um, the opportunity to watch students find their passions, to find their callings in the course of their studies here, and then to look on as they do uh, the hard work of further studies, of internships, of temporary jobs, all the while uh, honing their craft, and then to see them uh, truly excel in their professions. Our presenter this morning, Yannick and Smucker, uh, graduated from Goshen College in 1998 with a major in history, a minor in women's studies, Uh, and from a very young age, Janneken was interested in material culture, especially uh, textiles like quilts. Janneken is a fifth generation quilter, but her interest in quilts has been driven not only by the technical skills of piecing and needlework, she's even more interested in the intersection between art and history and cultural meaning. The complex ways that we place value on objects and the way in which these objects give value to our lives. Yannikan excelled as a student at Goshen College, and since her graduation, she's had the good fortune of seeing her personal skills and interests blossom into a career. Janneken earned a Master's in Textile History from the University of Nebraska in 2003, where she spent a significant amount of time working at the International Quilt Set- uh, Study Center and Museum and published a a book on Amish crib quilts. She then continued her studies at the University of Delaware where in 2010 she earned a PhD in the history of American civilization. Since then, Dr. Smooker has established herself as, I think we can say, the world's leading historian of Amish quilts. Uh, Not in a narrow or nostalgic sense, but in the way in which Amish quilts become a lens for viewing American culture. As you'll hear, during the past 50 years, Amish quilts have gone from being functional bed covers to highly prized works of art. Uh, The focus of exhibits in high-end or trendy art galleries, uh, iconic symbols of the Amish way of life, and objects to be bought and sold by ordinary people, art collectors, and fashion designers alike. She tells that story in a recent book that appeared this fall by Johns Hopkins University Press, Amish Quilts, Crafting an American Icon. It's a lovely book that sold out in its first printing, and you'll understand why if you get a chance to look uh, more closely at the book. It's a beautiful integration of text and images. Uh, Janneken is currently uh, Assistant Professor of History at Westchester University. If you enjoy her convocation this morning, you'll have a chance to hear her again at a public lecture tomorrow evening, Tuesday evening, seven o'clock in Newcomer 17, on a good Amish quilt folded like money, uh, the topic for tomorrow evening. Yannick and we're grateful, we're proud to have you return to Goshen College. Please join me in welcoming her presentation this morning on Amish Quilts, America's First Abstract Art.
2: Thank you so much for that introduction, John. And it's wonderful to be back in my hometown of Goshen and here at Goshen College, where I have spent many wonderful years. And um, I've been in your seats many times for convocations uh, as well. Um, so I, I hope to keep this uh, very interesting. And you'll see this is a very visual subject. Um, so I hope, the, is the lighting OK? You can make out the quilts all right? Um, As John mentioned, I have a new book, and I'll be sharing some of the research from the book today. But I'd first like to give you a little bit of context for the project, um, which John gave a great introduction to as well. And then we'll explore the stories behind several quilts in depth. I began making my first quilt one summer vacation when I was a teenager. I was always the kind of person who wanted a a project to work on. I knew how to sew from a young age, and so this was of great interest to me. I needed something to keep me busy during summer vacation. So I think when I was around 16, I decided I was gonna make a quilt. And uh, I got a lot of tips from my grandmother, who was a prolific quilt maker, and my mom, who had um, made a quilt herself as well. And I loved the process of cutting up these fabrics and sewing them back together. And part of what I loved also was it, it was this multi-generation project where I got to learn from my grandmother. We set up a big quilting frame in the living or in the dining room and and worked together to finish the stitches on it. My own family, most of my ancestors would have migrated to North America as Amish in the 18th century and eventually became Mennonites and We know at least, as John mentioned, uh, at least five generations back, um, people were making quilts in my own personal lineage. So I have a great cultural connection to these objects as well, which is partly why I was interested. But then, as John mentioned, I studied history and women's studies here at Goshen College and kept making quilts. Even my college house on Main Street, I set up a quilt frame there and invited my um, classmates and friends over uh, to learn how to quilt. And I, I kept, making quilts is my hobby, and eventually realized there was a, an intersection there that I could continue studying history as an academic, but quilts could be my subject matter, and this was really great to realize um, that I could put these two facets of my life together. I first, as John mentioned, um, pursued quilts in depth at the University of Nebraska home to the world's largest publicly held collection of quilts, including a significant number of Amish quilts, several hundred, and there we kept quilts boxed up in acid-free tissue paper in a state-of-the-art storage facility, treating them like rare art objects. And I learned a lot about quilts. I learned the patterns, I learned how to identify fabrics and all sorts of things. But I began to ask questions. Why are we keeping these objects, which I thought were bed covers, tucked away in these storage facilities where they're humidity and climate controlled and we're hanging them on walls? And I knew from being in the museum they were worth lots of money. I began to know some of the collectors and um, dealers of these objects. So I started to ask questions beyond just what patterns they were and how they were made why they mean what they mean to people. Why do people love these objects? Why have some people become quite obsessed with Amish quilts over the years? And, and so those were the sorts of questions I asked as I pursued my doctoral research. <clears throat> Let's see. Well, I'm not quite ready for that one. Um, in, in my book I take a pretty wide angle lens of quilts, examining them um, the context in which Amish women first began making quilts in the late 19th century. So they adapted commercially available patterns and innovated their own quilt making styles um, to fit community standards. And This story also places the Amish and their quilts within a context of consumer culture, a context which you might know the Amish are no stranger to today, if you're familiar with tourism to, to this area um, centered on the Amish, or if you watch much reality television. Um, but the quilts are also products of consumer culture because they're made from factory produced cloth, often from commercially published patterns. And by the late 1960s, artists and art enthusiasts had, quote, discovered Amish quilts because they thought these very graphic bed covers looked like abstract paintings that were created during the the 50s and 60s and 70s. They had the same strong visual elements. And they began buying these quilts quite cheaply in the countryside and hanging them on the walls of their urban apartments and treating them like art. And eventually, they became worth a lot of money. And before long, the Amish began catering to the outsiders who were interested in their quilts and started making quilts in home-based cottage industries to sell to people visiting Amish country. So today, specifically, I'd like to think about the sorts of stories that give quilts meaning. And these stories come in all shapes and sizes from all sorts of perspectives. So first, um, to gauge your knowledge and familiarity with the subject, um, what do you all know about quilts? Um, How many of you know what a quilt is? Okay, good, so that's, that's that's a good place to start, so quilts, Uh, traditionally we think of as a bed covering made with three layers, Um, but it also might be something that hangs on the wall. You probably have seen some of the quilts hanging on the wall. My daughter showed me the quilt hanging in the women's bathroom over here this morning, so they aren't always just on beds. Um, How many of you make quilts? Do you have any quilt makers? Wonderful. Uh, I'm glad to see you here this morning. Um, How many of you... One moment... Own quilts. Oh, even more great. Um, how many of you use your quilts that you own? Okay, good. Let's see, we're we getting there.'s the use of quilts. We use them in a variety of ways. It doesn't just have to be on our beds. How many of you have ever given away a quilt? Good um, quilts somehow have this really wonderful symbolic connection and they serve frequently as gifts that connect people to one another. Uh, and they do, do so in a really wonderful way. And Those of you have, who have given away quilts, whether you made them yourselves or bought them, probably know that. Um, who has received a quilt? Good. I'm glad many of you, um, that's why you own quilts probably. Someone was kind enough to give you one. Who has bought a quilt? Some confessions here, good, maybe at the relief sale um, or there's many places, many quilt shops in this area where you could do so. How about sell quilts? Do we have any entrepreneurs here? All right, a few of you have sold your quilts, excellent. Has anyone exhibited quilts? Wonderful, good. Um, So there's been all kinds of quilt exhibits. I'm showing two very prominent ones. AIDS Memorial Quilt, which you might be familiar with, is one of the most symbolic um, quilts that has been created here in the United States, made up of individual panels by people who have lost loved ones to AIDS. And this, the quilt exhibit on the, I guess that's on the right, um, with red and white quilts was a major quilt exhibit in New York City a few years ago um, where hundreds of quilts all were suspended in a blackened gallery, so a very dramatic effect. What about cherish quilts? Do you cherish the quilts you have? Good. Um, you don't have to keep them in acid-free tissue paper and uh, in boxes in order to cherish them. Um, what about neglect quilts? Anybody ever neglect their quilts, use them as packing, uh, have a picnic on them? <laughs> um, now, now, no one wants to, to confess to that, of course. And. I'm sure there are stories related to all of the ways that you interact with quilts. Um, But let's consider some of the ways the stories we tell about the quilts change their meanings. And to do so I'd like to introduce you to a group of quilts here. So you might describe these as all, um, if you know anything about Amish quilts, you say these are uh, some very typical, classic, beautiful Amish quilts. What else do you know about how they were made, used, Loved, preserved, or neglected. What do they mean? Sometimes, with the assistance of close readings with microscopes, genealogies, archival research, and other investigation, we can learn more. But nothing ever reveals more than talking to people about their quilts, whether they made them, used them, bought them, sold them, or otherwise loved and cherished them. So here is a, a quilt in the fans pattern. What is your immediate reaction to this? If you know about Amish quilts, you might say this is a very bold classic quilt. You might even know that it, this is an Indiana quilt. We know because the collector of this quilt cared enough to record the story of it that it was made by Annie hostetler Lehman from LaGrange County, Indiana. She was an Old Order Amish woman. She made it in 1963, but this was the fifth quilt that she had made in this pattern over the course of her life. The first she made, likely with the assistance of her mother, as was the custom, was prior to her marriage in 1915 to Albert Lehman. The date stitched into the quilt suggests that she finished it just 20 days before her wedding. When Annie sold the quilt to a collector in the 1970s, she also sold one dated 1915, here, you can see both of them together, um, made several decades apart, and told him about the other three quilts that she had made for her sisters of the same identical pattern. Annie lived to be 100 years old, and her quilts speak to her personal taste and to her emphasis on conformity within her Old Order Amish community. We know about these particular quilts because in this case, When the collector, Goshen's own David Pottinger, was bargaining with Annie and Albert to buy the quilt that was on their bed in 1984, Annie was 98, her husband Albert was 99, and he asked them questions, and he wrote down the answers, which I am so grateful to. And he then uh, wrote them on a piece of paper, or a piece of cloth, and stitched that piece of cloth to the back of the quilt. And now that information is with the quilt. And that is how I know the story of Annie Hostetler-Layman and her Fans Quilts. These quilts are now in the Indiana State Museum. This quilt um, is a pattern very typical to Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, to the Amish community there. Very uh, dramatic, bars quilt. Unfortunately, we don't know who the maker is here. But that doesn't mean that we don't know anything about this quilt. We, in fact, know a lot about this quilt's life from the time it left a small antique shop in Lancaster County in 1968, and now. It does have initials. Um, let's see. You can just make out an S and an L here in the quilting stitches. Um, which was a common practice within some Amish communities of identifying the owner of the quilt. So it was less likely to be the person who made the quilt, but the person who received the quilt because quilts were quite often gifts within the community. Um, Gifts given prior to leaving home and starting one's own family. But little did this maker or the recipient know that this quilt would help launch a thriving market for Amish quilts. When Jonathan Holstein and Gail Vanderhoof purchased this quilt for $5.75 in 1968, no one was really using the phrase Amish quilts to describe this type of object. The couple, who went on to form one of the largest collections of Amish quilts and curate one of the first major exhibitions of quilts in an art museum, did not call this an Amish quilt until finally someone told them, oh, an Amish person made that, and that there were more like it. So, you can see, this is the um, art exhibit in 1971 at the Whitney Museum of American Art. This is that same Bars quilt hanging on the far wall. <clears throat> and let's listen now to Jonathan Holstein describe when he first found this quilt.
0: We looked at that quilt in New York, and at first thinking that it was just some extraordinary work of genius. And then after looking at it for a week, realizing that it it, it was too precise, the materials were too consistent, the quilting was too consistent, for it to be a singular example from any culture that we knew anything about, uh, American culture. So we carried around it or pictures of it for a long time until someone finally said, oh yeah, that's an Amish quilt. So then we thought, well, how are we going to get more of these? If there's one like, I said, are they all, you know, we asked them, are they like this? Yeah, they're like this. So I thought, oh, my God, so how are we going to find more? So then we had to start looking around for others. Well, so slowly we began to find them. This would be now 1969 and 70.
2: Let's trace this quilt backwards through its owners. Most recently, it was exhibited in an innovative display at the Lancaster Quilt and Textile Museum in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and that institution's final um, exhibit, you can see it here hanging in that gallery, um, before this museum unfortunately had to shut its doors due to financial constraints. The museum was home to a collection of quilts that was known as the Esprit Collection, Esprit was an iconic fashion company in the 1980s which had as its corporate collection a group of quilts, um, the majority of which were Amish made, and they hung them in, its, in their San Francisco headquarters, inviting the public to wander through the office spaces and the design spaces where these quilts hung. And as you can see here, um, lots of the walls of the, um, of the office building were covered in quilts. The CEO of Esprit, Doug Tompkins, um, purchased this particular quilt, um, go back and see it here, um, in 1986 from Jonathan Holstein and Gail Vanderhoof who I just mentioned in the previous, uh, as, when I was discussing the previous quilt. So he, he saw the examples of quilts that they had and he kind of was able to pick and choose which ones he wanted to add to his own collection and he began focusing exclusively on Amish quilts from Lancaster County. Tompkins paid $10,000 for this quilt and keep in mind Holstein was buying them for $6 in that case. Um, So you can see the, uh, the inflation that is taking place. And he shipped it from New York City to San Francisco where he hung it in his corporate headquarters. This particular basket's pattern was unique among Lancaster County quilts, had origins with one particular family, and Tompkins wanted an example of this quilt in his collection because he valued it for his authenticity of its design. Prior to this time, the quilt had sat in a storage warehouse, packed away with many other quilts from Holstein and Vanderhoef's collection. They had purchased it In 1973, from a picker who is someone who goes out knocking on doors asking for objects, and in this case, quilts. So there were pickers who would go out in Amish communities, knock, do you have any quilts for sale? And Holstein and Vanderhoef bought it from one of Mary Lapp's descendants. And here's where we learn about the quilt's value within the Lapp family Mary Lapp was a prolific and skilled quilt maker. Designing and piecing quilts for many members of her large family, as well as for fellow Amish who requested quilt tops of particular patterns. So already in the 1920s and 30s, she was making quilts for her co-religionists as well. Children and grandchildren named after Mary or after her husband Daniel, who were namesakes, received a baskets quilt in this particular pattern, while other descendants received quilts in other patterns. Family members considered the baskets quilt special because it was so unusual within their community and required more intricate piecing than some of the other patterns common in the community. Mary Lapp was a trendsetter within that community. She tried a new pattern rather than conforming to what others were typically doing. And upon seeing these family quilts, particularly these baskets quilts, um, when they'd visit for church or or, um, come over to their home, they'd see them on guest beds, others wanted this pattern as well. And we know all of this because there was an oral history interview, not by me, but conducted with these elderly descendants of Mary Lapp who had had these quilts in their home and they identified them in beautiful coffee table books from museums that now owned their family's quilts. Mary's granddaughter, who was born in 1925, remembered her grandmother was a great seamstress. She sewed men's suits and heavy overcoats as well for pay and she also did the delicate piecework on quilt tops. Her sewing skills were so desirable within the community that um, Mary was paid for her services by many persons who didn't want to do their own sewing. Uh, Leah's own mother did not like um, doing piecework and so she asked Mary Um, to do, to make quilts for her children. But because Leah was not a namesake, she wasn't named Mary or Daniel, she received a quilt in a different pattern, a trip around the world. Her brother Daniel, though, received the coveted Baskets quilt. Um, And her mother felt so badly for Leah and asked uh, if Mary could make a special Baskets quilt for Leah as well, on special request. And, and she did that. And eventually, though, the family members were willing to part with these special quilts at a family auction or when someone knocked on their door offering them a lot of money many decades later. And you might wonder why someone would be so willing to part with a family heirloom. To the many of you who raised your hands that you own quilts, I'm sure some of you own family quilts that you cherish as heirlooms. You might not want to sell them, and you might have a trouble imagining why someone would. So I asked an Amish man this question: Why were families so willing to part with their quilts? And I'd like you to listen to what um, he said. This is an example, by the way, of one of Esprit's designs uh, that I think was based on a quilt. But here we have our audio.
0: I think it's because they had a practical minds. Mm-hmm. Um, the practical function of it was really gone. Mm-hmm. They had. They were attached. To them, too much sentimentally, uh-huh. uh, wear them out because okay. they were heirlooms, mm-hmm. and yet they were uncomfortable having a $10,000 quilt in their house. Sure. And so the, I guess it didn't mean that much to them that $10,000 or $5,000 or whatever, mm-hmm. that the price couldn't buy it. Uh, it was a matter of practicalness. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't. Art objects like that in your house, get rid of them, turn them into cash, pay your debts. Mm Yeah, and
2: that other thing's worth that amount of
0: money. And it's very different. It's not It was not a. Once they became a status symbol, then it was time to get rid of Mm them. You know, basically. Yeah.
2: So he says that Amish quilts, once they became status symbols to the outside world, they no longer had a place within the Amish home, even though they were cherished family heirlooms. They didn't have a place for a $5,000, $10,000 art object. It no longer made good sense to them. So this Baskets quilt, very similar in pattern to the one made by Mary Lapp, so it must have a similar story, right? Well, not so fast. I was curious about this group of quilts, now in the International Quilt Study Center and Museum, where I worked as a graduate student. Um, that looked like old Amish quilts but had dates that they were made in the 1970s and 1980s. So I got permission to dig through the files at the museum and I tracked down these quilts origins along with the entrepreneurs Susan and George Delagrange, who ran the company called Amish Design in the early 1980s. Amish design established by this couple who had bought and sold many old Amish quilts, they were antiques dealers, Um, was formed because this couple recognized the limitations of these old quilts, these delicate textiles. Light and wear could reduce their value economically and aesthetically. If you're thinking of these $10,000 art objects, you wouldn't want to just use one on your bed. Um, And the quilts that they saw contemporary Amish women making didn't appeal to the interior design and art market that they worked with. So they began teaching Amish women in Ohio how to make quilts that they thought would appeal to their customers supplying them with 100% cotton fabrics when many Amish in the early 80s preferred to work with synthetic blends and giving them patterns inspired by old Amish quilts like this one. And you can see here, we have uh, the finished finished quilt, and this was the pattern supplied by the non-Amish couple to the quilt makers, and this was the promotional card featuring that same quilt as well. This basket's quilt was pieced by Amanda Hostetler and quilted by Anna Miller, both members of the Swartz and Trouper Amish community in Wayne County, Ohio. And if you see this quilt in person, it would be very hard to know that it was made in 1982 instead of 1932. But we know this again, this time because I talked to this couple and I asked them about this quilt and the many others um, that they had made. Let's see, where did the. Here's the audio.
3: No, there, there, people who are enough interested in in these as art. Maybe there should be a, an opportunity for people to have them as art, without both the expense and the you know the the possibility of, of damage or loss by, by using the old.
2: Well, something that was
3: literally replaceable. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. Was, there, was were there other things that? Well, there was big demand for them. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we we knew dozens, hundreds of people, and we knew who was a good piecer and who was mm-hmm. a good quilter. We didn't have one person make a quilt. or quilt was a process. We bought the fabric we controlled the palette. We determined the pattern, and then we had two or three women that were marvelous piecers. Mm-hmm. They, they could piece... Uh, of uh, uh, broken dishes, and it would lie perfectly flat. And, and we knew who could quilt and who couldn't. And that was always a problem, because one lady usually didn't quilt the whole quilt herself. Uh, we had a, a very good quilter that said that some uh, ladies came over, and everybody worked on the quilt. And one woman was very old, with very bad eyesight. and. Is that Amanda, Amanda? Yeah. Amanda said that uh, when she was done, she had to spend almost as much time taking all, out all the quilting <laughs> that the woman could put in. Uh-huh.
2: So this particular couple <clears throat> got to know the skills of the quilt makers in a community and then hired them accordingly. Who could, who could piece quilts well? Who could quilt quilts well? And then you hear the story of quality control, even stitches being taken out to make quilts uh, more suitable for the commercial market. This beautiful quilt on this bed, actually a quilt on a bed for once, um, I was able to examine this quilt and talk to the owner as well. The owner bought this quilt in the early 1990s. By this point, Amish quilts had caught on in such a big way that multinational corporations, including The company, um, Arch Quilts, you can see the packaging materials here, um, began outsourcing Amish style quilts to be made in factories overseas. This quilt's owner loved the look of old Amish quilts, but she could not afford to own an expensive antique that she would not be able to use on her bed for fear of damaging it. To her, this manufactured quilt was the perfect solution. The quilt's design was based on the other quilt you see here, an, an antique quilt in a broken star pattern, although the coloring is slightly different. Um, and it's machine pieced and hand quilted, just like most Amish quilts would be as well, but it was made in a factory in China. Now, I've seen this quilt, and it's, it's decent. It's not remarkable workmanship, but it's not awful. It doesn't look like it was made in a factory. Um, but of course, Um, It's much different than an object made um, in a small home setting, domestic setting here, or sold in in shops in, in Amish country. Yet to this owner, to this consumer, it was a good substitute because she could not afford the alternative. And here you might recognize this again as a classic Amish quilt pattern, the center diamond. And what do we know about this quilt? Well, first of all, this is not an Amish quilt. This was made by Susie Brown in 1989 for her son's graduation from high school. It's been documented by the Michigan Quilt Project. Many states sent out people to record information about quilts all over their states. You can see this is its online record where I learned this information about the quilt. it's now one of nearly 60,000 records in the Quilt Index where you can find all of this information out. And that's at the quiltindex.org, a wonderful database of, of quilt information if you're interested. And here's where I learned um, that Susie Brond made this quilt as, and she says in the record online, this is a commemorative quilt for my youngest son's graduation from high school. Jeff studied several quilt designs and decided on the Amish center diamond pattern. He selected colors and wanted lots of quilting. It represents his four years of high school by quilting many inscriptions and symbols into the quilt. Also embedded in the quilt is a 1989 good luck penny, it includes his name, class year, name of high school, favorite rock groups, peace symbols, class mascot, college attending, class rank, favorite pastime, summer job, college major, and his two favorite German words. And as the quilter, I signed my name, date and city, I love you, and B-B-F-I-H-M, which stands for boy's best friend is his mom. And this is the (laughs) usual inscription I put under my name at any time I send my son a card. Um, So this quilt, which looks very much just like any other Amish center diamond quilt, means so much more uh, to this particular family. And thanks to the Michigan Quilt Project and to the Quilt Index, which has preserved the record, we know that this just isn't another Amish-made quilt, but a very special gift from a mother to a son. The inspiration for this center diamond um, would be any of the many center diamond quilts that were Amish-made. Most of this pattern was very typical in the early 20th century in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. And the renowned art critic, Robert Hughes, pictured this particular Amish quilt in his survey textbook of American art called American Visions. And in this art history text, he calls Amish quilts, quote, America's first abstract art. Of course, it's ironic that a community in which the very idea of art is regarded as worldly and against the guidelines that govern the religion Um, that they would produce what's now considered by some the first abstract art. Unfortunately, we know very little of Rebecca Fisher Stolzfuss, who is attributed as making this particular quilt, or precisely why she made it in 1903. She, unlike Susan Braun, did not leave a treasure trove of information behind to accompany her quilt. But surely this quilt also has a story. We just don't know what it is. We have to ask, and we have to listen. I thank you so much for your attention this morning, and I look forward to sticking around and chatting with you if you have further questions.